Hi, this is Father Bill W. I'm an Episcopal priest in Austin, Texas. I want to welcome you uh, to this podcast. I'm also in long-term recovery. I've had the gift uh, of recovery through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous since December of 1972, and I'm very, very grateful for that. A um, uh, couple of pieces of business uh, before we begin. Uh, first, if you have not done so already, I would invite you to go and visit our website, it's called Two-Way Prayer, T-W-O, Two-Way Prayer. And uh, it teaches uh, a form of prayer meditation that they did back in the Oxford group and carried over into some of the early days of uh, the AA program. It teaches you how to do that. <clears throat> uh, we've also just uh, added some videos to that website under the resource section. So if you're an old timer and you, list, you liked uh, having those resources available, uh, they are now back under the resource section. So please access those and sign up while you're there for the newsletter. Try to get that out every month to six weeks. And um, secondly, I would like to invite you to our next workshop. It's going to be on Saturday, November the 6th from 10 a.m. in the morning to 1230 afternoon central time. Um, and it's on the history of the 12 steps. Uh, it's a new new workshop that I'm doing and uh, the, the idea is to, uh, if, if we learn some of the history of how it was that they approached the process, uh, even before there were steps, uh, it tends to simplify uh, the program, makes it deeper and richer, I think. And, and that's my hope uh, for the workshop. So if you're interested in that, uh, info is on the, the website or drop me a line at two-way prayer at gmail.com, and I will send you a flyer. Finally, I just want to thank all of our supporters who make this work possible. And if you are in a position to uh, give a gift, uh, it's greatly, greatly appreciated. You can uh, either do that through the website or through a link at the end of the podcast. Okay, business is done. And uh, my guest uh, for this series is a, a dear friend. His, his name is Matt D. He's uh, from upstate New York and perhaps the most knowledgeable person uh, I know of uh, on the subject of Tom Powers and uh, particularly on Tom Powers book, uh, Invitation to a Great Experiment. And that book <clears throat> is going to be the focus of this series. Uh, and if you'd like to receive a copy of it, there's a link to All Addicts Anonymous uh, in the show notes, you can you can purchase it there, and uh, uh, it, it will take you. That link will take you to the All Addicts Anonymous website. Uh, I checked uh, buying it on the open market, uh, Matt. It's up to about a thousand dollars if you want the hard copy. So, <laughs> so it's a real bargain uh, uh, if you go to the website. Uh, save yourself uh, nine hundred and eighty-five dollars, whatever whatever it might be. Uh, uh, so anyway, welcome, Matt. Uh, and I'd like to begin with a little bit of personal background, if you could just kind of introduce yourself uh, in terms of uh, how you got into recovery. And then uh, if you could dovetail that into how you came into contact with Tom Powers and the work that he was doing. So let me turn you loose. Certainly. Thanks so much, uh, Father Bill. It's a real pleasure. Uh, I always enjoy our exchanges. They mean a lot to me. 
Uh, we've been having them for, I don't know how long now, a decade or more. Well, yeah, at least. Uh, yeah, so it's a, a real pleasure. Um, so my name is Matt D. Um, I'm an addict. Uh, my first major, uh, I would say I was somewhat uh, of a, you know, I had set up for, for having addiction um, with uh, behind the scenes of, of the substance addiction. You have these, these things that the big book talks about so well, things like self-will, lying, you know, resentment. Uh, I certainly had um, much of that going from way back as far as I can remember uh, as, as a kid even when I would get snarled up in those things and get caught out and embarrassed or humiliated, uh, I, it, instead of, of um, breaking my, my faith in those as, as uh, things to get through life, like self-will, it had the opposite effect. I, just, I had this, this idea that if I could somehow get better at lying, get better at getting my own way, uh, that somehow that was my way through life. Yeah. And uh, you could say, <laughs> <laughs> that's just an addiction waiting to happen. And uh, really, you need a, a very uh, sharp life interruption to, to begin to lose faith in those things. Uh, you know, and, and that's when it becomes possible to, to gain faith in a power greater than yourself. Um, and I don't, I don't fault myself for that in any way. Um, Go ahead. I didn't know if you were gonna. No, no. Just, uh, I mean, it just kind of took me back. You, you got, you got to get cracked open uh, for the light to get in. To quote Leonard Cohen, you know. Uh, yeah. So cracking up is, uh, I, I think it's a, it's a real gift. Uh, at least in retrospect, never at the time, <laughs> but looking back, uh, no, nobody gets here unless they, they go through that process. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it really is. It's you know, it's the the ego personality. We talk about it quite a bit, right? But that that is that that's the thing that I I put all of my faith and all of my trust in. And uh, frankly, you know, when when you start to have little life problems that are telling you maybe it's time to have, you know, to try a, a different way to live, uh, you have so much vested interest in egotism. Uh, it's very hard to give it up, and it takes a, a, a severe crack up in order to really right. begin to have trust and faith in something else. When you come to, uh, you know, they, we don't talk about faith much in the program, but the fact of the matter is, it's it's, it's essential. I mean, trust is is basically, uh, or faith is basically just known as trust. And the first thing that really happens is you lose trust in yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, then you see, genuinely see something in the life of another person that you think you can trust. They say that they were like you were once and that their lives are totally different. And it's, it's a visual thing. You really see it with your eyes. And uh, that's the beginning, really, that's the beginning of faith uh, in, in this way of life. There's no way to know. I mean, when I look at things like when I go back to my beginning, and I think of the idea of honesty, it just seems like it would make such a mess of my life, you know, right. that, I would go, that I would go to somebody else and tell them what I've done wrong or whatever. It just, it looked like a mess, but you, you've got the sanity in this, in people, and you learn to, to trust that. And then eventually you start to do what they're doing and you develop trust in those, in the principles and in the way of life. 
uh, and it becomes something that belongs to you. Well, so, yeah. Well, and, and that's what I think Tom picks up on with the title of his book, Invitation. Uh, yes. When you, and so you say when you meet somebody who has what, what you're secretly looking for, you know, you feel that invitation. It's a, it is a, indeed a program of attraction. It, it really, it but it really comes is. through people. It has to come through people, is what you're saying. It's got to come through people. Yeah. What's what's the famous famous line from Frank Bookman about? Uh, uh, you can't administer eye medicine from a second story window. Right. It's got to <laughs> be. It's got to be intimate, and it's yeah. got to be one on one, and it yeah. comes from another person, and it comes through a condition of openness or what you call realization of need. You got to see you really right. need something. So how did um, your, how did yours come about? Share that with us. Yeah, sure. So when I was uh, in my early twenties, uh, um, basically uh, I had mentioned that, that these underlying character defects, if you will, the things that are again, covered so well in the big book were going all the way through. Well, at a certain point, when you live that way, you often need relief. Yeah. And I got I got into um, into into sex uh, as a young person um, and fantasy, uh, just checking out of this world. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, then when I found out, you know, when I was in my well, I got to a certain age, maybe twelve or something. I got, or I was probably younger, but I get drunk for the first time, and you're like, you know. <laughs> this idea comes to you, oh my God, I can actually purchase this stuff. You know, I can actually have an exit out of this world, if you will, out of my troubles, out of this life. And you can actually do it with, right. with, with a substance, you know? So uh, at a certain point I got into um, alcohol and drugs. Uh, I think the other component, and um, it's, it's covered so well in, in the essay by Tolstoy called Why Do Men Stupefy Themselves? Mm. And essentially his point is the reason we do is to dole our own conscience. And I had had such a burden, just, just uh, psychically, emotionally, I had so many things that I was burdened with. When you, when, when you have faith in, in egotism in yourself in this way, you got to carry a burden that only God can carry. And, and God, what a, <laughs> what a life trying to make that. It's very heavy. It gets very heavy. <laughs> well, the, the, you know, the, the reprieve comes, you know, a couple of minutes after you take a substance. Uh, the trouble is, is that the, is that the burden obviously increases um, the, along with that, what every addict knows the trap is that uh, the, the relief uh, minimizes and the desire for the relief increases, you know, and you're hung up. You be, at some point you become really addicted. And I became addicted as, as, a, as in my teenage years, right. um, alcohol, drugs, and all the, all the while with this, with the sex going behind it, um, tons of fear coming off of the egotism, you know, and, and all of my faith was in, my ego personality trying to, you know, get out of things by being charming or trying to get out of things because I couldn't be relied on. So let's not have him do anything more than, than, than we have to, um, you know, I was, uh, <laughs> I was in a real jam. Uh, I finally, in my twenties, I finally, um, 
I hit a point. There was a lot of very other important things that happened to me prior to that, which I won't go into here. But basically, I got I I became a candidate for AA and I got into AA. I saw that I had, you know, I had a problem with drinking. Um, I had uh, a a very profound spiritual experience. Um, I was it it had come off of the thing. I was in a, a meeting. And there was somebody had come up to me afterwards and said, you know, you're such a young person and, you know, you, you really sound like you've got this th- thing together so good and you're talking about God and stuff. And I, I walked away from that. I, I was always, again, the ego personality is always looking for, you know, pats on the back and, you know, you always is trying to hear how, how good it's doing and everything. Sure. And, and, and in an odd way, it had, I had this opposite of, uh, uh, experience, uh, something came to me. And so, you know, it's almost like this two-way prayer thing where if you, I wasn't even trying to listen, but at this point, I guess, uh, I was more inclined to hear. Yeah. And I, I just heard this thing that just basically said, and not to be too crude with your listeners, but I am a sex addict. And I heard this thing that said, you know, uh, that's fine. You have all this talk about God, but you'll, you'll be masturbating before the night is out. Right. And, and right away, it was this thing, this, this old saying we have that cleanliness is next to godliness. And, and I just had the strong sense, if I was going to get AA, I needed God. And if I was going to have any connection with God at all, I needed purity. Mm. And uh, right away, the absolutes had come to me. Yeah. And that's the toughest of the absolutes that we all, I always get questions on, you know, Honesty, love, unselfishness. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Now, why are you going with this purity thing? <laughs> yes. Yes, of course. Yeah, uh, but course, you went right very... to the heart of it. Uh, someone estimated that about a third of the people, men in particular in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, have an ongoing problem with sex, you know, sexual I addiction. I would not be surprised. Yeah. I would, I would not be it. surprised. Right. And in a, in a way, uh, just like the, you know, the taking of a substance. I mean, there is a certain kind of, uh, I mean, not to get too esoteric, but you know, the, our, our first parents, if you will, if you, if you follow this, this faith tradition is they lived together in union in paradise. You know, they were not broken apart as man and woman until after, you know, till this fallen condition of egotism, you know, where they became identified with themselves as their own ego personality as with their body. And, and then they cover themselves with a fig yeah. leaf, you know, they don't notice their nakedness, but prior to that, it was paradise. That's and right. Anybody, anybody who has a, a sexual experience has a taste of paradise. And that is very similar to what happens when you, when you drink or take a drug or whatever. Right. It's the setup. It's the setup. I mean, the lights come on, and, and how do I get back to that experience one more, one more time? And, and from, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And for my money, uh, you know, this is just my view that sex is, is a sacred thing. And yeah. therefore, therefore, uh, and I think state, you know, the, to be uh, granted access, if you will, into, into higher states of consciousness is a sacred thing. If you do that clumsily or arrogantly, or, right. you know, there is, there is a um, penalty for such a thing. And for me with sex, the penalty was insanity. I mean, uh, yeah. the, this kind of insanity that comes from abusing sex 
It's, it is devastating. And I was in such bad shape when I got to this program mentally. I just, I can't tell you the abuse yeah. that I had, ta- that I'd subjected myself to by the, by you. I listened to your talk the other day about fantasy or about imagination. You know, the wrong use of imagination can be a very dangerous thing. And I was, I, I was, um, I was psychically in a very, very bad way. And so when I first got into AA, I was backed into a corner and I had to look at this, this problem where many people have, are able to take a more leisurely approach and come around to it, you know, after some inventory and a few years in, or, you know, they see, they eventually see the contradiction or as we say in AAA, there is a, you know, that addiction is a moving target and, you know, you get alcohol out of the way and maybe it's something else. And then next thing you know, you might find yourself having a problem with sex. Well, for me, I had to deal with this thing right up front. Right. And I don't mm-hmm. think I'm in the majority. I think probably a lot of people come to it later. Um, but that was my case. So I got into, uh, I got into AA. Uh, I knew that I had to deal with this problem of sex. Uh, and to get it in line with what, how God would want me to use this power, you know, how to use it rightly. Uh, I got, from there, I had gotten a hold, that's how AAA came into my life. I got a, a hold of some people that I had I'd heard about in, in All Addicts Anonymous. I just, I had known very little. I knew it was founded by Tom Powers, who was very involved with Bill Wilson and, and, and AA and writing many, you know, the, a lot of the literature, helping to write the literature. Um, now, was this in Akron? Were you in Akron at the time, or did that come later? I actually was in Akron at the time uh, yeah. when when I had this experience, and um, I had decided. I actually went out and visited uh, Tom's group. I met Tom and yeah. several other people. Um, I sat down and talked to some guys. The first thing they they talked to me about was was the practice of watching and praying, uh, because yeah. you know when you're dealing with a mental addiction. It, it, it's all addiction relates to ingestion. You got to ingest something. You're taking in a substance, you know, you, you're smoking something, you're drinking something. Mm-hmm. Well, when it comes, even with a mental addiction, you're, you've got to let in that first thought, you know, that temptation. Right. And uh, with, with sex, this and, is basically. Yeah. And, and, and you have to think at some level, you are not powerless over it. Yeah. That you can without, control it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. And so that's what the they, madness. That's the madness. What they had said to me is they said, uh, in essence, what they said with this generalizing is that um, when it comes to booze, you know, you, you, you got to, you know, you get in your car, you drive to a liquor store, you buy the bottle, you take the top off the cap, you drink it down, and maybe 20 minutes you're in a certain place. Well, with, with sex fantasy, you can be there in three seconds. Mm-hmm. And the difference is that uh, the orifice in which you consume alcohol is one. Well, when it comes to uh, uh, mental addictions or non-substance addictions, uh, there's many portals of entry, you know, whether it's through your eyes, whether it's your mind, your heart, uh, you know, you literally let this thing in through your senses. Uh, mm-hmm. And so uh, to watch means to, you know, have a watchman, if you will, at each one of those doors not granting access. And uh, basically they told me that uh, the, the way to handle that was um, when I saw the temptation come to give it a name, you know, this is called lust, uh, and then to call on the name of God until I was out of the jam, 
Um, yeah. As a Christian, I use the Jesus prayer. And I just, the, the thing is to be as persistent with the prayer as the temptation is persistent at soliciting you. Right. And eventually you come through on the other side uh, if you hang on and you get some sanity. And right. uh, that was the beginning of my recovery. And yeah, so and Tom, Tom became your teacher. Is that fair to say? Tom absolutely. Tom absolutely. So give us a little bit more background. Uh, most, most of the listeners are not going to be very familiar with the name Tom Powers, but he was really uh, very instrumental. Uh, Bill Wilson was his sponsor, I understand, in the, in the early days of his recovery there in New York. So a little background on Tom, and then let's jump into the book. Great. I actually... Um for a number of things that put together a, a timeline it would help me out so tom uh uh so tom um powers uh got into aa 1941 there were about less than 600 members at the time mm -hmm. um i believe um uh, it was early in the year as before the jack alexander article came out so um you know again very few members of aa uh he was a a, a terrible alcoholic uh Although quite nutty to where, um, you know, listening to, there's a, a Bill Wilson introducing Tom to the Founders Day talk in, in the mid 50s. And he just said for a while, we didn't know if he was just a nut or an alcoholic, like people were, were, were really not sure. And actually, it sounds like that's what they had said to him often when he would go into these different nut houses. You know, we don't know if you're, you're a, uh, uh, an alcoholic who behaves nuttily or a nut who drinks. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, he, he, had, um, he had a very profound uh, spiritual experience at a time where he had many years before as a young teenager had, had abandoned the idea of God. He, was, he, he tried to do this thing very similar to what I was talking about, this, this, this uh, ego personality approach to get through life. And he was a staunch atheist and just had no sense at all or no no just couldn't believe that god was real in any way and uh he said when he first had come to that conclusion instead of feeling like it was a burden it felt like a, a relief to him and uh anyway when he finally got to the a place where i was talking like myself just where he really started to crack up uh he was um advised to go to AA. He started to go to meetings. Uh, there was all this talk of, of, of God. Uh, somebody started talking about God and he just got up to walk out of his first meeting and somebody grabbed him by the arm and just said, look, you know, just have an open mind basically and, you know, sit down, you know, and he, and he did, and he had an open mind for some time. Prior to that, he had had a, a, a year, about a year before, when he broke up the first time, uh, he had an, a very profound spiritual experience in which uh, he saw God. Uh, he had a, a, a whole conversation and had gone into the, he had been taken away into a, a hospital. Uh, unlike Bill Wilson, uh, he did not have a Dr. Silkworth. And mm -hmm. he knew there was no way he was ever going to get out of that hospital and, and, until he basically renounced the experience that he had and by the time he was he was being discharged he already started to to really think it's very possible that the whole thing was just a hallucination that it was not real 
but what it did was is he started to drink in a very suicidal way from then on because he was trying to bury you know you there, it's an interesting thing you know we talk about spiritual experience as an answer well spiritual experience is also a burden in a way and it's very difficult to deal with right uh you know bill wilson himself you know they talk about it and pass it on i mean this is a guy who was depressed for many years to come and um i'm not saying it's solely from his his conversion but as tom quotes saint francis and pass it on you know since my conversion i've never been well i mean it's a very difficult thing to, re- <laughs> to you, you know to. you know there's another way and you know you're not on the path towards it <laughs> and, absolutely uh, yeah. absolutely and 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 the uh there's a there's a, a terrific book uh, return from tomorrow where a person has a near-death experience and right. uh they come out of that for years, years. The guy is totally depressed uh, because of the, it's, it's to live in that permanent realm in which all addicts are trying to seek. You know, we're all looking for relief from self. We're all looking for bliss. That's right. You know, we're all looking for paradise. And, and we're, all looking take, for, we're all looking for God, but we don't know it. Absolutely. That's absolutely what it is. And to have have an actual taste of it and then to be yanked back into this world, uh, right. it, isn't, it isn't an easy thing to deal with. Well, he had that experience and he basically drank not just to deal with his problems, but to deal with the experience. Sure. And uh, finally got into AA. He, was, he, he had, you know, his, his uh, hard shell atheism started to to harden after the experience. And he, he definitely renounced it all as, as a hallucination, if you will, right. until, uh, so, so basically he, he approached AA, entered AA in 1941, but because he couldn't buy the God thing, he basically had, tr- had a truncated version of the program that was just helping others and admitting he was powerless and it was not enough for him. Yet he knew, just like we talked uh, earlier, you know, in the in the eyes of the people there, you knew you could see personified uh, the answer. You knew it was there and he could not let go. And he kept going to meetings throughout that whole time, even though he had he had returned to drinking, which is something I didn't mention. So he was sober almost a year in 1941, went back to drinking again and continued to go to AA all the way through. Uh, at a certain point, he, he he told this conversation he had with Dr. Silkworth, with who he was very close. Uh, he just said, you know, I'm thinking of abandoning AA. And Silkworth just said, there is nothing on earth at this time that is helping addicts like AA. You will find no answer of this magnitude anywhere else. My, my advice to you is don't abandon AA. Up the dose of AA. Increase, <laughs> increase the dose. Yeah. Don't take it. Don't take a different pill. Take more of the same pill. Right. And uh, eventually, um, the Tom had an ex, had an experience. He was going in and out of nut houses. On his last last time to the nut house, Bill Wilson was riding shotgun. Uh, they took him. I believe it was Gotham Hospital. I'm not sure. He ends up in the hospital. Um, he goes through. He's been going through a series of these shock treatments. This was back before they used um, elect. Uh, electromagnetic, you know, stimulation. They right. used to use a chemical called metrazole, which was uh, synthetic camphor. And it, 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 what it did is it put you through. Um, basically, what it did is it induced a seizure, 
And so he, he's, this is his last time in the hospital. He's given metrazole. Uh, they have five guys holding you down because you, you go through a seizure. You're going to, you can break something, swallow sure. your tongue, who knows what. Anyway, he, it, the, the experience of it totally wipes your, your, your slate so clean that when you come out of it, he said, you don't, not only do you not know who you are, you don't even know what you are. And uh, he, this whole experience of, of all of this starts washing into his consciousness, you know, what I am, who I am, my history, you know, the Tom Powers, all this starts to come washing in. And he remembers that he had heard someone yelling in, in that room, uh, God help me, God. And he's thinking to himself, you know, who, who could have been yelling for God? The whole room is full of professional men. The only, only person who could have been, been screaming would have to be me. And he's thinking, how could I be yelling for God? I don't, be, I don't believe in God. And at that point, he realized that God lives in all men. It's just some men have to be squeezed a little harder than others just to get to him. And finally, he had broken through the, the hard crust of his atheism and come out on the other side uh, to theism, to, to belief in God. Right. And at that point, this is sometime in 1946. And at that point, um, he could now approach as, as best he could the program in, in its total form, not truncated. And, and his, his recovery began. Uh, he, um, he and Wil Wilson, Wilson tapped into Tom's gifts uh, over the course of his recovery, uh, used, him, used him for some of his writings. Let's 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 move into some of that. Yeah. How'd that yeah, come yeah. about, and how did he help him? Yeah, thanks for steering me around. By the way, I appreciate that. I'm, I I'll need it. Um, I'm a control freak, uh, Matt. You you know that. It's so. good. Oh, I, <laughs> and I'm a I'm a, a long in the tooth, so I can go on forever. Uh, the um, I think that was part of Wilson's genius is that he had. It wasn't just, he was, he was not a solitary person in that sense that his resources he knew were in other people and in their strengths. And he relied on so many people uh, for so many things. And I definitely, you know, he definitely re relied on, Tom just had this unbelievable skill of communication. Yeah. Uh, he, he was he, a professional at, at it, right? He, he, was, he was a Madison Avenue copy, copy yeah. writer. Uh, yeah. He was writing all kinds of you know, major, you know, major, uh, you know, writing for Exxon and Colgate and, you know, doing all kinds of, of, you know, high level uh, writing for these, these, these companies advertising. Right. Um, so anyway, he brought his, he brought that strength and with him. Um, I, I believe that, that uh, Bill was actually having him work on the grapevine before he, before Tom even got sober. Uh, it's, <laughs> sounds, it's, it's, sounds like Bill. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Sure. Uh, and, and, and I would say Tom got involved in the, must have been involved in the late 40s with the grapevine too. Um, there's there's uh, different places. It's very interesting because it, it, it ties into the book Invitation to a Great Experiment. Tom was a book man. Uh, Wilson was not someone who read a lot. Right. Uh, he really relied on, I mean, this was a person whose inner circle consisted of people who wrote books. Uh, he relied on them and he was a very oral tradition person, which was 
which you can see runs right through the AA program. I mean, the AA way, it's always about, you know, one drunk talking to another. We get, we give our witnesses. I mean, he believed in the exchange of, of, um, you know, what do you want to call it? The experience. The, the experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's experience, but it, you know, it's a, a person when they, when they participate in, in this thing of, of there is an exchange of real power. No, no person, no individual is the source of that power, but we are conduits, you know, and Wilson was really great at that. And, and it's become a major part of our program. Thank God. Uh, but he relied on people who, who, who really, studied and and really knew uh their own craft you know and tom was very he had really gotten in deep into studying the spiritual life the regenerative life how it related to you and and diet um all the different world's traditions right and and he became um thoroughly you know it, i think it's because of coming off of this period where he finally had become a theist he now is open to a whole dimension that he had been uh, unable to 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 enter into, and so now he became a, a just avid student of anybody who was a serious God believer. Right. And Wilson, Wilson really tapped into that. Yeah, and he tapped into it for the twelve and twelve. Tom was very instrumental in the writing of that book. Am I correct? So that. Um, Yes, um, very much so. So uh, at that point, Tom um, lived down the road from Bill. And when they worked on the 12 and 12, basically the way that Tom described it is that Bill would have, you know, Bill would work on a step. It was, it, they were individual essays. So, so Bill would work on a particular essay or a step and he would bring it to Tom. Tom would go over it. And um, he was an editorial consultant as well as something of a ghostwriter for mm -hmm. it. Um, mind you, the background is, is you know, some people know this, that during that period of time, Bill Wilson was a, very depressed. And so um, the writing of the book itself had, they, you know, I've, I've read in a personal letter in the archive here that I have acquired that um, part of the actual project of the book was, was to keep in mind that it may be therapeutic in a sense to Bill and his depression, that it would be a thing to help, help him get out of himself. Anytime Bill got out of himself, he was high as a kite. I mean, he, the, the period of time where he was most depressed, he also was on the road and he would be, you know, absolutely, <laughs> you know, totally out of his mind. And if you will, in ecstasy of like, you know, this thing of being part of, we're talking about this power that comes through the 12 step work. I mean, yeah. he was just totally lifted up by it and he would come back home and, and be on his couch for two or three days. You know, I mean, it was just flattened. Um, so anyway, during that period of time, yeah, of course, people uh, were people were worshiping him. People were, were worshiping, worshiping Bill. Him. Bill, sure. Yeah. I mean, they wanted him to be something for them and never himself. Well, we've been talking a lot about the thing of egotism, you know, and right. uh, you know, when the when you come into this program, the the ego is. Uh, this, this is an analogy I, I feel is, is, is somewhat, it's just, I found it very useful for myself. It's like, uh, you know, the, the pruning of a branch. You know, I work on a farm um, and I see, you know, once a, once a branch is pruned, uh, the, the rest of the tree, you, you, 
the vitality is in the tree itself. You know, yeah. when you have a, a major branch that gets pruned, the first thing it does is it sends out these shoots. And these the shoots are of no value to the rest of the tree. As a matter of fact, it sucks vitality from the rest of the tree. It right. will not bear, those shoots will not bear fruit. They're of, not only of their no value, it's of a negative value. And it's, that's exactly what happens here. You get cut down in a certain way, but these e egotistical shoots keep, keep forming all the time. And there's just constant spiritual maintenance that's required to keep that from sucking the vitality out of the rest of your spiritual life, you know, but the egotism, the way that it works, I mean, when you're into it and you have faith in it, or you're trying to have faith in it, you got to constantly bolster that faith up and you get smashed. I mean, this is, this was Wilson before the, before AA. I mean, he would be totally, you know, he would keep trying to get sober and he couldn't do it. It was, it's, it's like living like a football, you know, one minute you're up and the next minute you're down and it's devastating. And alcohol is the only thing or whatever your substance or addiction is, it's the only thing that gives you some temporary relief. Mm -hmm. um, at a certain point, I think it must've been extremely difficult. I mean, you have any idea what it would be like to go around everybody patting you on the back and telling you what a wonderful person and you can't you how can you how can you fault that somebody else because you feel in the direct line that this is a person who literally pulled you out of you know out of the the ice after it broken through i mean you owe your life to the people that sponsor you to the right. people that give you this message and how the hell can you not you know communicate that without it affecting the other person's uh, egotism. I mean, it's just sure. I mean, this. This is projection. This is this is what we do. Uh, we, we we project our God image onto somebody else, and they become God for us. You know, which I think you know if you if you study uh, therapy, uh, it's a necessary part of the process that you have to give yourself over to the therapist, and the therapist has to be healthy enough to give yourself back to you when, when, when you can make that uh, transfer to where it really belongs, which is onto God. It's the only safe yeah. place it can go. Yeah, and, it's the, and, it, and, and the thing is, it's the realization that, that you're just a conduit, again, that you are not the source that is behind this, this life conversion, you know, and that's the trick. Is, that's is the trick, to, you, yeah, that's right. You have to stay humble uh, as a teacher. And I mean, in a way, the egotism thing is, is the, is we make a God out of our own selves and, you know, right. we're going to run our lives. We're going to trust ourselves. We're going to handle everything. Right. Then you come into the program and you can find that um, you, you can incorporate that old idea into this new way of life, you know, and you start to fancy yourself, you know, it's, it's, it, it's even more, this is why I think we need the program uh, greater and greater to a greater extent each day. Because um, you can you can now take this this life gift, if you will, and start to irrigate it to yourself as though you're the one who is <laughs> making this thing possible. Right. You know? And don't. Yeah, we see people around 20 uh, years or so. Uh, and that was when it hit me, Matt, uh, where where you come to a, a second turning point. Uh, some come earlier, but that's when it when it hit me, and it seems to hit a lot of people there. Either you get deeper into the program, or you're going to twist off in some way. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, because it says, as the big book says, selfish self-centeredness, this we think is the root of our troubles, right? right. It, this isn't alcoholism we're dealing with so much after 20 years. Right. This is egotism that we're dealing with. Exactly. And, and egot- if you want to say what is cunning, baffling, and powerful, it's egotism. That's right. That's right. I mean, yeah. now its power might be weak in its own in its own way, but it's enough to persuade a person if they don't have enough discernment to listen to something that could be devastating. I mean, it's always an irrigation. It's always, I'm going to make a God out of myself at one way or another. And that's so, devastating for an addict. Right. So the purpose of Tom's book, Invitation to, um, to a Great Experiment, is, is to invite, um, invite us onto or into a journey, to begin a journey. And, and he says in his introduction um, uh, where the book is going. And he's going to answer three questions. Uh, first one is God is experimentally a knowable reality. Is that true or is it false? Second is, is the experiment a practical possibility? And the third one he tackles is God's will how to know it, and how to do it. So that, that he kind of lays out in that introduction uh, uh, the coursework that, that the book introduces people to. And I know this book has been really important to you in your, in your own recovery and uh, in, in helping people go deeper into... into um, a spirituality that that oh that that won't get old, you know. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, there really is no end once you get on the right course, the really right spiritual course. It's endless, and it's exciting, you know. Uh, and you keep watching yourself, and you keep wa- I keep watching my ego and and how it manifests and takes back, you know. And, uh, and like you said earlier, Tom's one of the greatest. Uh, uh, gifts he he gave to me through you was uh, watch and pray. If if you don't know if you don't watch, you won't know what the hell to pray for. And to me, that's the yeah. beautiful link between ten and eleven. That in ten we really watch, and then if we see it, we'd really better pray. You know. Uh, but it brings it into reality. So this book is about reality, isn't it? It's uh, it's the reality of God, not the theoretical elements of God, but the experiential yeah. elements of God. Yeah, that's right. Well, um, just a, a background on the book is that uh, yeah. he was commissioned to write the book for what was called the layman's movement. And um, it was something of the movement's big book, if you will, um, and the original title was First Questions on the Life of the Spirit. And so basically what they did is they took, um, they sent out, uh, I don't know what you call that, but they, they sent a thing out to the members of this movement and said, what are the questions that you have about the spiritual life? And they wrote back with what they were. And that's why this entire book is framed in questions. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he makes it clear in here. The, this is really a book of questions more than it is answers. You know, the, the answers uh, uh, could could fill an entire library and even more than that, because the answers themselves are 
are in God and in your own experience of him. And no book can do that in entirety. All it can do is point, point you in the right direction, give you some resources. And that's what this, that's what this book for many of us have, have done, has done, is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've introduced people to this book and uh, many of them have said it's one of the most important books that they've found uh, in their recovery journey, because it really, it, it takes, it takes uh, AA and addiction, uh, uh, any addiction uh, really seriously as, as you have in uh in our discussion here and and you boil it down to its essence and this is the stuff that's going on deep inside of us really at the level of the unconscious mind uh that 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 if if we if we don't get a hold of it it's going to resurface in some other areas of our lives you know? yeah. yeah yeah I think the book too is, is um, I don't know if this is the right word to use, but it's one that comes to mind. It's like a recapitulation of his experience from when he had the, where he had broken through his atheism to the other side of theism. And uh, it, he had this, you know, when you read the book, the way that it's actually given, you know, the way it's, it's contents are laid out. The first thing you start is, well, it's in, in case of emergency, but you go right away to honesty. It's like all the all the primary first things. It's kind of the big book is given in this way too. But I, I it's almost like the book is is a um, has a, a a theme of an autobiography, if you will, behind you know of what what he went through. You know, the first thing he had to do was get honest with and, himself. And, and, you know? and, we, and we can all identify with that. As yes. as he does, we do. You know. And one of the beauties of, of the book, uh, and he deals with this in the introduction, is um, he says this, uh, it's one of the great lines. Uh, Tom is a great writer. I want people to have a, just a little taste of how he writes. He says, somewhere along the line, I began trying to be a Christian. I'm still trying. I'm also strongly drawn to the truth in other great religions. I started out in the regenerate life as a mongrel, mothered and taught by mongrels. I have an essential kinship with the breed. I cannot disown it and would not if I could. I am convinced that spiritual mongrels have an important work to do in the world, a work which may even have a certain deep relation to the core of Christianity the brotherhood of man. That's uh, it's a, a beautiful expression of where the book is going to take us because he's going to draw on Christian authors, on Buddhist authors, on Hindu authors, wherever, wherever, wherever he can find truth. Uh, and it's usually through the mystics is, is my experience, you know, uh, because they've touched it, they've experienced it. And they're not talking... Uh, philosophy or theology as much as trying to de to describe what the taste of God is. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. So uh, I am excited to uh, begin this journey with you, Matt, and uh, I invite our uh, listeners to please go to the show notes, uh, order a copy 
uh, of the book. Uh, you will find it to be a tremendous, tremendous help to you uh, in your recovery process. And we will uh, start really digging into it. Uh, so next week, we're going to go into part one so that God is an experimentally knowable reality. So we're going to go to the laboratory. <laughs> Tom is going to take us to the laboratory. And I think that's exactly the way uh, the history approached it in, in, uh, in, in the 12 steps uh, in, in the Oxford group process was uh, we're not going to talk theory. Uh, we're going to talk, uh, we're going to give you an experience of this thing, yeah. you know, because yeah. that's, that's what's going to, going to really carry you. I, I love the, uh, digging through the archives in uh, AA, where Wilson said he wanted, he loved the word experience. And, and, and uh, he says some people in Greenwich Village uh, talked him into changing it, uh, you know, in, 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 in the 12th step, having had a spiritual experience uh, to, into awakening. And I was always taught that, well, that's a wonderful thing. Awakening's better than experience and all that. But he said he wanted to change it back, that he didn't think it was really a very good idea, you know, and, and yeah. people wouldn't let him because yeah. by then he said it had become holy writ. So the big the big book is is now becomes our Bible, and and you know for, forgive me out there, but you know we're going to screw that thing up just as much as we screwed up the Bible, <laughs> yeah, and, and become you know fundamentalists instead of becoming practitioners. Well, also if you're vested in ego personality, which is where we find ourselves so often, spiritual experience is. Uh, it's startling. I mean, the idea Absolutely. that it's, it, it's offensive. <laughs> I mean, it's just plain offensive. <laughs> the idea, it's like death, you know, like you talk about death and the way that we, we refer to it in this life. Jung, you know, Jung, a, Jung said something very important. He said, every encounter that the ego has with the greater self is experienced as a defeat. Yeah. Yeah. And the Christian term is to die daily. To die right? daily. That's right. And anybody who's who's in that condition, again, I'm in it all the time. You look at this thing as a death. A de death in from an ego standpoint means right. annihilation. It means nothing. That's right. Uh, death after ego, it, well, ego deflation is death itself. Who cares and to admit complete defeat? <laughs> this side of the door is dark. There's light on the other. Yeah. You know? So listen, Matt, this is going to be fun. Uh, listeners, I, I hope you will uh, come back next week and, and, uh, and join us in this, uh, in this adventure. I think you will benefit uh, greatly. So Matt, thank you once again for, uh, for joining us and teaching us. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to a lot more. Me too. You're very welcome. All right. Thanks. Thank and, you. Uh, and God bless. Mm -hmm.